One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to the Political Party Podcast. This episode features the political editor of the BBC, Laura Coonsberg. And it's an hour of wisdom and insight about not just the role of the political editor of the BBC, but just about how important reporting on politics is and informing the public, holding people to account, how to use sources, how to use information. Uh, There's just loads in it. The importance of telly, the importance of pictures. This is absolutely jam-packed. And and just the one thing I was really left with is, and obviously I talk to people on this show, talking is their craft, it's their job, whether that's politicians or journalists or or advisors. The words and and, and the, the way they're said are so crucial. Some people can just talk so well. Laura Koosberg, and this obviously shouldn't need saying, can just talk really well. And that sounds basic. But I'm sure you know what I mean. I won't say any more. We started, by the way, um, with a nugget of information. I'd been talking to Laura um, to to get her on the show. She let me know that where we record the show is at Avalon Entertainment, um, uh, who represent me uh, as, as a comedian. It turned out that a few years ago, well, maybe more than a few years ago, Laura had actually worked here for a brief period. I was a temp in London in about 1854. Yeah. And I think that's when Daisy's done. <laughs> you obviously were the previous century. That's right. Um, and I, I think I worked here for two days. Um, and I was put in a room by myself. Oh, man. Oh, man. With loads of files. Which yeah. probably don't exist now, right? Like paper paper files yeah. in the olden days, and told to like put them in a big filing cabinet. And I remember there was this room right under the right overlooking right the, the Westway, which if for for our your podcast listeners, not in the throbbing metropolis, is a very large dual carriageway that goes through West London. And I kind of I had only lived here for about five minutes. I had d- basically didn't really even know where I was. I remember getting out of the tube in Lambert Grove and sort of wandering around with, with an A to Z because it really, yeah. again, it was yeah. the olden days. Oh, my God. So I spent, I think it was like two or maybe three days sort of on my own in a room with a filing cabinet somewhere in this building. But was so that... I'm kind of getting the f- and did, <laughs> fear of it. I mean, was, it, was that something... Uh, <laughs> did you want to work in entertainment then at that point? No, I, no, no well, I'd, I'd done like student radio and kind of bits of and I'd done cable t- I'd worked I had I'd had a job I'd done like local TV and things but I had I'm just trying to remember I think I had already got my job as a trainee at the BBC but I had this like gap I had sort of six months when I when I so I hadn't started yet so I'd finished I'd finished uni and then I had this gap before I was going to start as a trainee, as yeah. a trainee, to, to learn how to be a journalist. But I was really into, you know, I had done music radio. I actually did lots of comedy kind of stuff because I was a student in Edinburgh. So the classic, we used to do these late night review programs on 4th FM, which was a radio station oh, yeah, in, in Edinburgh. Man, I've been on that a few times. Yeah, and they used to like let us go properly on air. 
really late at night after we'd been to see comedy programs. Sort of drunk. Well, I'm not saying that. (laughs) To be clear, my politician's answer is, to be clear... It was a certain time and sometimes drink had been taken. So so I, I was kind of like into, you know, I was sort of sort of into all of that. So it wasn't completely bonkers for me to be working at Avalon, but I did it because I was a temp. And then after that, my next temporary job, which I actually did for ages, I worked in kids' magazines at the BBC. So I did, was involved in like producing sort of Teletubbies magazine and phoning up uh, ad production companies saying like, where is your proof copy of your Lego advert for Postman Pat? <laughs> we need it for the production. So how, <laughs> production. how does And they on... were so nice. I mean, children's team magazines, they were so nice. They were lovely. And how does... I mean, the Teletubbies are a kind of yeah. group of bumbling people who can barely speak. How does that compare to... I can see you. That's so smooth. How does that compare to... So smooth. ...to being political editor of the BBC? <laughs> See, I knew it was coming out. It was still quite funny. Um, what, dealing with a load of people who have temper tantrums and are completely uh, involved in themselves? Yeah. <laughs> it's very different. So did you, at the point you're, you're temping here then and you're, yeah. you're at the BBC yeah. and everything, yeah. at that point had yeah. you decided, I want to be a a broadcast political journalist? No. Or you were sort of testing, oh, oh, do a no. bit of music, do a bit of entertainment? No, no, I wanted to work back because, so I, I mean, I think probably like everybody of our kind of vintage, well, actually, I know, I think I'm a bit, I'm a bit older than you because obviously still very young. Yeah. I, I kind of did that whole thing of wanting to be, like everyone wants to be a lawyer because Grace on LA Law was really cool. So I know I'm really specifically aging myself here. Um, so I didn't want to do that, for, and then I didn't really want to do that. And then I sort of vaguely thought, oh, journalism might be quite cool. And I did some work experience at a local, uh, actually not a local paper, one of the Scottish papers, a fine paper, the Herald. And I, I did some, like a week work experience there and I thought newsrooms were quite cool places to be but then I sort of went off the idea of print I can't remember why um but I wanted to but I love telly I always loved telly I wanted to watch telly I used to get broadcast magazine as like in my late teens how sad is that when That's I was like an when industry I, mag I know how sad is that but I remember talking to um and so on I'm, it's funny I was thinking about this conversation the other day um I remember having this really earnest conversation with someone who showed someone I, I, I knew at home and saying, look, in about 10 years, what's going to happen is you're going to be able to choose all the channels you want and you're going to have a list and you're going to be able to say, I just want to watch that and I just want to watch that and you're going to be able to watch it all when you want. And they were like, you're really sad to be excited about that and that sounds really <laughs> weird. And I was like, no, this is what's going to happen because I was reading broadcasts. But so I was just really obsessed. With, I, I love watching telly. Like, I just love watching telly. So I wanted to make telly yes and then one of my friends who i was who i knew like when i was at uni said look the best way to get into telly to make telly is be a journalist like be a journalist first and i was like Ooh, okay but so i wanted to make documentaries and things like that so i only really i, I like applied to journalist training schemes because someone had told me it was a really good way to get into making telly so is there a world so it's a total in which... mistake but, but there's a world in which perhaps you, yeah. someone else gives you advice and you end up presenting Top of the Pops instead. Or... Oh, crikey. Well, that would have been terrifying. But, <laughs> but yeah. would you have wanted yeah, yeah. to do that? Would that have been I a conceivable know. aim? I don't know. Well, well, I suppose so. But I, but I, so I didn't want to be on telly. Oh, so I wanted you to, to be make like a producer. Telly. Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't want to be on telly at all. Oh, right. So, yeah, I didn't want to be on telly. I mean, that hasn't worked out as a plan. <laughs> no, you? that You're hasn't on telly worked. all the time. Yeah, no, it hasn't worked out at <laughs> it must all. It's been a nightmare for it, you. It hasn't worked out at all. And, but are you happy with the way it's worked? <laughs> well, yeah, because I th- 
think, I mean, I'm a great believer in serendipity, right? And I think, you know, what's for you won't go by you and all of that. And I also think that you have to, uh, I think having an open mind is a really an important thing, right? And things come right. up. And especially these days. Especially these days. But I just think, I, th- I think it is, but, and I didn't have a... But I wanted to make telly and then I wanted, because I'm really bossy, I wanted to decide what telly got made. So I was even more weird. I wanted to like, when I grow up, I want to be a commissioner. I mean, how sad is that? No, but that's good. You, would, but, you wanted to be a decision maker. Yeah, well, yes. But I mean, you know, and now we make lots and lots and lots of small decisions all the time. And then, but I, you know, that's what I wanted to do. Because I love, I love watching telly. And but, I wanted to like be, I suppose, be in charge of what was getting made ultimately. But I, the, the kind of other things that I, this is quite weird. This is like going being in this building. I'm thinking <laughs> all these things are coming flooding back of how I felt about life when I was 22. Um, I the other thing that I had looked at doing was I the other thing I applied to like as, as a student was the producers. Uh, actually, I mean, if if people if did I tell people listen to this lovely podcast? Oh, all sorts of people. All sorts of people, yeah. right? Well, if in tele, so there's a thing in tele called Pact, which is the Producers Alliance System on TV, something like that. Anyway, they did this uh, training thing for researchers to go and work on independent programs and all the rest. So it's perfectly feasible. If I hadn't got the kind of golden ticket of going to be a trainee do a trainee journalist at the BBC that I might have I just kind of started as a runner and then a researcher on you know who knows so maybe I might the other conceivable path might not be presenting Top of the Pops but it might be like I don't know making Love Island or something like that I mean it's I don't know it's I just weird, wonder, give, but, sliding doors but given that it was uh, it was about yeah. it wasn't just about making telly it was no, you wanted making to be telly, commissioner telly stories, and, and, yeah, and, 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 and wanting to be in charge I suppose <laughs> but, but, but it, it, I think that's a good thing <laughs> Is in the in the end you've ended up being political editor, and, mm. and in a way they're the same things that drive politicians: is a desire to shape the world and to make the decisions yourself. Well, and I think also it's a, I mean, you know, being a journalist is being a storyteller. So yeah. It's the same thing, really. You know, we're being a storyteller and finding out information and finding the best way that you can possibly tell it, telling important stories. So it's actually it's the same thing, really, and finding ways of doing that and finding ways of engaging people in subjects that they might not necessarily be that interested in, um, and. That's the thrill of it for me. It's being close to, you know, being a witness and actually making telly or making radio or making podcasts or making whatever you make. You're, you're being a witness, really, aren't you? Whether you're making gags about it, as yeah. you do, about politics or anything else, or whether you're trying to use pictures and words and sound to uh, evade. So it's, it's, kind of, it's the same thing, really, isn't it? But I suppose I, I always get the... Well, I mm. think people come at this from all sorts of different angles. Yeah. But with some political journalists with political yeah. broadcasters you get the sense that it was either that or maybe a career in politics sure. and that maybe doesn't feel the same way with you oh god no no I mean I wasn't that into politics so I was no more interested in politics than I was in like health or crime or what was happening around the world so politics and I thought everyone who worked in Westminster was a total weirdo I didn't want to go into has political... that view changed no not at all <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just that now I include myself in it that's the tragedy um, and I um so, no, I didn't want to do political journalism because apart from anything else, there aren't any pictures. So that's a nightmare. If you work in telly, it's like a big building with green benches in it, a very beautiful building. Yes. But it's really hard, you know, it's really hard to, um, if you're into pictures, which that makes me sound really weird, but, you know, I, I, <laughs> I'm into Like, you know, work, the, to me, TV's a gift, right? It's an absolute joy and it's a gift and the raise of someone's eyebrow or a, a shot of someone on their own was normally Theresa May sitting on her own. But, you know, it's so evocative, isn't it? And and political 
broadcast journalism then is really tough because the pictures we're not blessed with. You know. I never thought that, but it's yeah, always basically yeah. Big Ben in the background. Yeah, yeah. The House of Commons, and basically that's it, yeah. or a press conference with a podium and a flag. Yes, yeah, so you've got to really push it. And my, te- you know, I work with brilliant, brilliant, brilliant um, editors and producers and, and camera people, and we've worked really hard in the last nearly five years since I've been doing this job to try to. Um, find ways of making that more watchable and making better making news telly less like news and more like other telly I mean this is getting a very kind of nerdy chat but no, this my, is great yeah but to do and that's you know whether you I mean recently one of our crews just got these amazing shots of a magpie in Downing Street yeah and actually, that's incredible. You know, what does that amount one for sorrow, two for joy? Oh, right? Yeah. There you are. The line's right. But that, yeah. amaz- that detail, that's really interesting to what No one wants to look at a picture of a door. <laughs> you know, or I'm... A, There'll you know, be door enthusiasts yeah. listening to this. But so <laughs> yeah. But my... You know, there's one of the best cameramen who's just an absolute genius in the way also that some of the, some of the snappers are. Amazing. Amazing eyes for pictures. And, and you know... He'll go out early. I was on a big day. He comes to work with us, and he's a, he's been around for a long time. He's an absolute genius. And on a big day, he'll go out really early in the morning, and we'll have a chat about what kind of thing. What do we want to kind of try and achieve? What's the idea? Yeah. Um, and he, I know he'll just come back with pictures that are sort of like gold that then allow you to to script to it and to think about it. And but also we'll chat. And, I, and the thing that. He's a total genius, but we always joke that he once shot this brilliant thing of all these crows like pecking and feasting on College Green outside <laughs> Westminster. But then in the last couple of years, he started coming back with all these shots of crows. So I think now he has a crow in a cage <laughs> and he carries it around every time he comes to Westminster. <laughs> I mean, is there... <laughs> Which is, to be clear, that is a joke. Yes. Before anyone is... Uh, no crows were harmed. No crows were harmed. In the making of this uh, podcast. Any reason to... Yes, exactly. But, you know, that's all really exciting for the, the creative bit is, is fantastic but I was not one of those people who's ended up in polit- political journalism because I was obsessed with politics absolutely not I never did student politics I wasn't it's just not my thing at all just on the power of pictures and why that yeah. is so attractive to you and why that drew yeah. you in yeah what is it to you that is more powerful about pictures than words well it's how we all it's how we all experience the world isn't it and also I'm also completely obsessed with sound um because it's how we experience the world, yeah. isn't it? You don't, and 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 also there's something, there's something also. Where and, and I love writing as well. I mean, you know, writing is for you know. So I write a lot, and you know, you write for telly and you write for online. But but there's something about reading. Reading words is is a very solid. It's a solitary experience, isn't it? Yes. And pictures and moving pictures, particularly, it's kind of a collective experience isn't it you do it with your mate or you go oh my god have you seen that yes i suppose like, you don't all sit around and read a that. book together no at the you same don't time. go oh look at this line well, uh, well i do occasionally yeah. <laughs> but you know you you might you know if you're if you're reading if you're reading in bed with your other half yeah it's pretty unusual that you would say oh i must just read you this paragraph you know what i am the sort of person who <laughs> yeah, does okay. that all the time all right i did my girlfriend's uh, head in on holiday in tenerife constantly yeah. quoting from david cameron's autobiography <laughs> <laughs> Which is a great read. I defend that behaviour. It's brilliant. But it's well. Shall I ask you then? Is it more common that you might say, "Oh my God, have you seen that?" Oh yes, to of say, course. Yeah, have yeah. Have you read this latest share, paragraph share from the video. Shepherd's Hut? <laughs> right. It's just, share a video far uh, more. Yeah. yeah, and 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 I think 
we respond as human beings to what we see don't we and you have that response and that for me that's the, the that's the joy of telly and also with sat with, with the kind of combination of pictures and movies because that's how we that's how we experience the world isn't on it? sound you, yeah you, you have want some cake by the way i brought you some banana cake i'm a, um yeah i'll tell you, you what i'll get it to just... daisy then if you don't want it daisy i didn't know you would be here daisy so, so i've got a nut allergy so Oh God! I think it's got walnuts. Oh, you can eat it. You can eat it. Do I? Could you put it outside the room? Oh no, no, no! It's fine. I can be. Can I have some terrible (laughs) anaphylactic? (laughs) Oh, that would be a great way to finish the podcast. It's got to end one day. Um, uh, Well, it would stop everyone. I mean, it would mean no one ever had to axe it, right? Of course, yeah. So that would save an awkward. Like the Tommy Cooper of podcasts, to sort of die, die while podcasting. Um, you can eat it though, so it's not like. Are you sure? No, I, I'm not that. I'm yeah, not, it's not it's like. Fine. No. It's just Are you as sure? Lo- yeah, it's just as long as I don't eat it, it's fine. <laughs> I'm a bit I should have brought. Now. I mean, this is this really exposes me as a poor host because I should be laying on treats for guests, not the other way around. It's a treat to be here, man. Oh, that's very but kind. Yeah, I, I'm very foolishly agreed to do this <laughs> so that you would come on our podcast because I never, I don't do these things, so it's very nice well, to be here. Well, I, I don't do these things at all. I really appreciate but, you being here. No, well, I was surprised that you agreed to do it. Well, it's not, only because you came on my. <laughs> that's how the world works. <laughs> Um, where were we? Yes, on sound. You have yeah. a very distinctive and brilliant broadcasting voice. Oh, oh that's And nice. I think there's Thank something you. about in the mornings mm. when you turn Radio 4 on, mm. when you're in bed and you wake up to that thing, mm-hmm. people have their own styles. And Nick Robinson's the one I always think about as that kind of whispery way <laughs> of saying it was the Prime Minister's view, wasn't it? And he's obviously got his own sort of way of speaking. As a broadcast journalist, how much do you think about well, the Laura Koonsberg way of telling this story is going to be yeah. to structure it in this particular way. Um, I think I've always tried not to do that at all. <laughs> okay. Because, and I'm and I'm quite paranoid about something becoming very, very formulaic. Right. And always doing the same thing. But you do develop a style, right? You can't, you know, you do yeah. develop a style. And I think sometimes, I particularly for telly, a lot of the time I don't write sentences. At all. Sorry if you're... So what, bullet points? Well, just work, you know. I might say something like, look at that. <laughs> yeah. Or use one or two words. Or, yeah. um, because actually, as I'm doing a good illustration of, kind of at the moment, we actually don't talk in complete sentences, do we? Or a lot of the time. No, and we conversations... We talk in a whole jumble... Yes. ...of ways, don't we? Yeah. So very formal news writing. The ambulance is rushed to the scene. <laughs> there has been a stark warning today from the government. Nobody talks yeah. like that. No. And I was taught, and I worked with some brilliant people along the way. You know who I really learned from. I mean, <laughs> as well as who I called the Roy Walker School of Packaging. Okay. <laughs> Do you remember Roy Walker from Catchphrase? Say what you see. Say what you see. What's Mr. Chapstone? Right? It's good, but it's not the one. It's good, but it's not right. Yeah, Laura, you're good, in play. You're in play. I mean, amazing, right? But say what you see. Yeah. So actually, which is exactly what we've just been talking about. You say to your mate, have you seen that? So that's how I try to write. And, do and you... I don't try to... But, but, but And it's also, it's all about what you... You're basically, you start with a blank sheet of paper and you put as little in as you can because you have to allow people to absorb the picture. So that's the challenge with complex stories. There's no point throwing loads and loads and loads of information at people like the Open University. That is yeah. totally pointless because that's not how we consume information when you're watching telly. It's, it's on and you're engaged, but if you're lucky, 
people might what I always think you want people to take away one really clear thing yeah and and there was a brilliant reporter I worked with when I was really a baby um uh, and he said to me, "This is another great." He said, "Tell him once, tell him why, and tell him again." Yes, yeah. My old boss used to say right. that. The, right, uh, great, John Brilliant, right? Tell him once, tell him, and and that's, you know, there is no point saying and another thing and another thing and another thing and another thing. I mean, that's what you know. Actually, some podcasts are really fun because you can go on and on and on and on and on. <laughs> and if people really want detail and to immerse themselves in the detail of things, they can completely do that, and that's great. And you know, we've got. Oh, there's so much information now right there. But for me, the best like news writing and the best kind of telecommunication is it's really um, kind of spare and simple. And, you know, as a really good editor I work with who's always said, particularly when we were covering Brexit, said, actually, look, if it's clear, that's a win. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's right. And that's not, that's absolutely, and people go, oh, well, that's dumb down. You're telling people that, oh, you don't give people proper information. Uh-uh, that's totally wrong. I think what you're doing then is you're actually, you're respecting the audience by saying, this is the thing today you really need to know and understand. Yeah. And I, and it's our job to like, be the curator and not say, today I'm going to give you every single fact about the withdrawal agreement. Because I respect the fact that you're at home and you're watching the telly and you're trying to understand and know what's going on in the world. And you don't need a today to know what's on page 85 of the withdrawal agreement. Do you, do you know what I mean? Of and, course. And, and, and I don't, that's why it makes me, um, uh, it, it, it rankles with me when people sort of talk about, oh, dumbing down because you are hardly giving any of the facts. No, it's that, I mean, that's the kind of process of editing, is <laughs> the judicious use of information, right? But also the decision about what facts to deliver and Correct, yeah. who decides what the priorities are and what the most important thing in the withdrawal agreement is. That yeah. in itself is, I yeah. imagine, a contentious process. Yeah, but it's also a very collaborative process. And it's also an ongoing process, which is this sort of point, I suppose, of having specialist journalists, right? So you're not fresh to it every day. Mm. You know that, oh, well, this has been arrived for ages. Well, that aspect of it isn't really new. Or this is the bit that's really important today. Or this is the bit of the story that's moving. Or this is the bit we should be highlighting. Or actually, the really interesting thing today is we can see that that bit's going to be resolved or there's a conflict coming here. And and that's why sort of context and experience and understanding is important because that's what helps you make those decisions. But it's also really collaborative. In many ways, um, you've got the best job in the country. Oh, I love my job. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. I mean, it's the, the, it's the best job I will ever have. And I knew that when I started it. And, and, and I had no idea when I started it how, you know, how... The, how completely sort of bonkers it would all be um but it i mean it's an absolute privilege and i take it very i take it very seriously i mean we have you know we have a great time and it has been an an amazingly uh sort of enjoyable story to cover because it's been so exciting as a hack but also i mean we take it massively i take it massively seriously and i really I mean, I, I really, res- I'm going to sound really pompous, but I really, really respect the audience. And that's what we're there for. And uh, and it's always on my mind is like, what if you're watching on the sofa, what are you thinking? What do you want to know? What do you want to ask? What are the questions you want asked on your behalf? It's not, oh, how clever can we be? It's what do you want? What do you need to know if you're at home? And uh, you respect the audience. Uh, um, do you have the same respect for the politicians? 
I genuinely think that the vast majority of politicians go into it for very good reasons. Um, inevitably, over time, some of them become consumed by less exalted motives. Mm. But that's also because um, the process of getting things done in politics requires an endless series of compromises and power plays and uses of alliances and patronage and all of those things that lead people to sometimes be extremely Machiavellian. But I think there's, you know, I don't, I don't think there's very many of them who, who I would say are like bad people. You know, a lot of people, I mean, a lot of people in politics behave in ways that a lot of members of the public would find pretty grim in isol- like in isolation as sort of individual yeah. acts, right? But from the inside, in as much as I share the distaste for some, uh, some of that behaviour, I think from the being, being the kind of outsider inside which is kind of as I always try to see myself because I didn't come up from a political background yeah. so I don't like I think no, when I arrived I had no idea what was going on or what the lobby was or what central lobby was or where you go and what I mean I had no idea and, and it was so I tried to keep that perspective because that's what most you know most people in the way that I know hardly anything about sport most people know hardly anything about politics right and that's they know about their own their their what they need for and want from politicians but the process is a mystery to, to most yes. people quite understandably in the way that lots of things are a mystery to me you know um but 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 having spent a long time now kind of on as, as a witness on the inside I I see why a lot of the things that people might find abhorrent happen and it doesn't mean that they're all a bunch of total charlatans although some of them are some of them are um, and we won't comment on it oh I was about to give you a big long oh (laughs) come on don't do that um there are obviously oh you nearly fooled me with your with your loaded question (laughs) individuals behaving badly but there is a moral distress isn't there about the general tone of politics and the post-truth era and Mm -hmm. fake news your job's never been more important do you think even in the relatively short time that you've been involved uh, Mm. uh, at this level and and, and covering political journalism I mean short very short but do you think that there is an increasing uh, problem in terms of politicians bending or or even just well, not telling the truth? Well, funny you should mention that, because actually, on Radio 4, Saturday, and it will be on BBC Sounds by the time this comes out, we've just done a documentary, actually, on exactly this point, but looking at the decade of 2000 to 2010. OK. Right? So there has, as you say, there's been a bit of a sort of moral panic I've uh, among some of the sort of commentariat... Um, and, you know, fake news is a thing and all of that. It's become very fashionable to talk about it as if this is somehow a new problem. Yeah. If you go back to the last decade, which was the first time that I was covering politics, if you look at what happened around Iraq, if you look at what happened to the MPs' expenses scandal, if you look at what happened with the crash, whereas Gordon Brown told me for this documentary that the night before RBS needed the biggest bailout anyone had ever needed in the history of the world, the chairman of RBS phoned him up and said, we've got a cash flow problem. Oh, my word. Right. 
so the idea that oh it's only now in 2020 that we go oh my goodness we can't trust the people who are in authority uh, that's for the birds <laughs> right that is for the birds what i think is different yeah is 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 technology and that is to me is the the big that's the the massive difference is we're all wandering around with these things which for podcast listeners i'm waving around my phone um which means the ability of people who want to mislead or distort or just completely make things up or circulate things that we would have called spin before um is absolutely unparalleled and there are in that context and in some parts of the world there's some really terrifying things that you've heard for example you know what's happened in Myanmar a lot of the stuff that's been you know happened on Facebook in Myanmar yes. inciting violence against people I mean a lot, technology has been an enabler to something that's very 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 old which is propaganda right but I don't think that that is and, and I think in a funny way we know so much more now but I think we trust a bit less but do you think the tone has deteriorated? Do you think? Oh, that, the, the tone in the last few years has been horrendous. And that leading, I think the fundamental mm. change for me is that leading politicians have either actively incited it or at least turned a blind eye in a way that I don't think leading politicians of previous generations might have done. Yeah, I think that's. I think that's right. And that's perhaps what worries people is the way we're that, talking to each other. Is. I think that is right, but I think a lot of that is that has been driven by. Um, social media, I'm afraid. I mean, you know, so previously, ten years ago, you know, like anybody else who's on air, I would have had you know the odd unpleasant letter or something that would have arrived in the newsroom, or uh, people used to send you weird things. Um, what sort of weird things? <laughs> so I'm not going to say what it was. Some someone used to send me something really, 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 really gross. Yeah, Ooh. you're making the you're making the right kind of face. Uh and um but people are just really strange. A friend of mine, somebody used to send her stones. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, really weird. And someone used to send also her sachets of shower gel. I mean people but so so but people are, you know, some some people are you know, TV's a powerful thing. If someone's on your telly, they're in your living room in a way, right? Yes, so people yeah. kind of feel they know you and sometimes you drive them around the twist. I'm well aware. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm really aware. You know, we go on the telly every night. I'm sure there are lots of people going, oh my God, that bloody woman again. <laughs> well, of course, they're. just as some people are lovely and some people come up to you and go, oh, I love your wearing. It's great. I'm also very well aware that people, you know, you very kindly said I have a lovely broadcast voice. I know from my inbox that not everybody shares that view, right? So, um, but, you know, 10 years ago, somebody might write you a strange letter. Yeah. Now, someone might instantly go on Twitter and send you a message saying, I hate you, blah, 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 blah. Right. And I, and I think, but in the same way that people talk to each other, because if people can say things to each other online that they would never dream of saying to someone's face. And that has, because like in any sort of closed world where people love gossiping, Twitter completely spread like wildfire in politics as it has in other like little whether it's you know in sports I mean, you, you have these kind of communities don't you where yes. social media is sort of just become like a kind of catnip right it's sort of like everybody's on it and everybody's obsessed because it's this thing where you're who's up who's down there's all this kind of gossip and all oh, this might happen because that went on to social media political activists started kind of using terrible language and, and it, it became 
normal for, for, for politicians then, some of them, to then start straying into it. And then once it was in there, then it started coming in the, into the House of Commons and all the rest. But I, but I also don't think that... I just, I'm not sure if the actual language and the use of words is, is, is completely... Is, is, that, is totally unprecedented... In I mean, way, I mean really poly- sure I don't wanna, about that. yeah. I mean, I, and I don't want. I'm, I'm certainly not justifying. I mean, some of it's been horrendous, and I'm not justifying any of it for a second. But the idea that you know, in the sort of in the 19th century, in the sort of days of what Hogarth was in, you know, cartoons and things, the idea that politicians were all terribly respectful of each other, and that the public were terribly respectful of them. I mean, that's just for the birds, isn't it? Yeah, Castlereagh and Canning had a gunfight down by, on the banks of the, right. of the Thames, and like it's right. not as if stuff hasn't happened before. Right, right. and but I'm not justifying, but I, but I'm not. Saying that it's all been okay at ha, all. Has any of it? But I think it, but a lot of it was also because of Bre- I mean, a lot of it was because of Brexit, right? Because we pe- the, the the system was failing. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. But has any of it um, ever like affected you or, or made you think that you don't want to do the job or that or anything like that? There've been um there've certainly been some very difficult moments, right? And it's not not you know, it's it's obviously nobody goes into a job thinking, Oh, I really hope that <laughs> Some people are really going to hate me. <laughs> I mean, yeah. when I wanted to like, make telly because I like watching telly, I didn't have in mind people being really rude and awful. And also, if you, I mean, I think also if you if you do, I think if you do a job like mine, you have to sort of believe in the system, right? You have to have respect for the way that our democracy works. It doesn't always work very well, but we have it as a system and a lot of countries would absolutely bite our hands off Mm. to have a more or less functioning democracy like the one we've got in this country. And it's not perfect. Of course it's not. But I think to sort of do my job and to cover it and to be there day after day after day, you have to sort of buy into the fact that it's pretty good that we have a democracy and we have a parliament and we have elections and MPs do what they do. Um, And to see the kind of agony on all sides in the last couple of years actually has been quite affecting sometimes. And it has felt... You know, they're on, a, on, a, on a couple of occasions, it sort of felt, oh, is this actually, oh, where, where's this all going to end? And a lot of MPs actually have really, um, I think, suffered with it, actually. 
And I know they don't get any sympathy from the public, but I mean, people I've known for a long time as as as, as contacts in Parliament, you've sort of seen how some of them have been in the last couple of years, and you've thought, oh, I'm not sure that you're okay. When you say contacts, is that a deliberate yeah. way of not thinking of them as friends? And yeah, you deliberately try and not become friends? Yeah, yeah, they're not friends. But it must be hard sometimes. You spend a lot of time around people and you might get on, you might have a lot yeah. in common. Yeah, but I don't social. I mean, I and some journalists do, but I don't socialise with MPs deliberately at the weekend. Well, I just they're not my, they're not my. I mean, of course, there's some MPs that I like as nice people, and I think, oh, you're a nice person, and you might feel a bit of an affinity, and you know, maybe same kind of age or whatever. And you think, oh, we've got quite a lot in common. Yeah. Um, um, but I, I don't see. Yeah, I mean, they're not fr- they're not friends, and I don't spend time with anyone really from politics at, at the weekend at all I mean I wouldn't I kind of wouldn't dream of it I mean I'd, some of my colleagues are brilliant friends who've become great friends over the years but I'm and there are some journalists who do that you know and some journalists in Westminster who come up through student politics and then they all kind of go and hang out and that, that's totally fine but it's not my thing so one of the other pressures you face is yeah. not just abuse through social media and the pressure mm. of the job it's it's the other charge that you and other people at the BBC face and other broadcasters face is that somehow there's some sort of bias that the BBC is on a particular side. Now, depending on which political party you talk to, everyone thinks the BBC is biased against it. The Tories, the SNP, the Labour Party. I mean, that is that a frustration or is that just part of the job? That's part of the job. I mean, look, we're a massive national institution and everyone's got... I mean, everyone has a view about the BBC. It's like the health service. Everyone has a view. But, but, <laughs> but it doesn't mean we don't take it seriously, right? And yes. that's not that's different to just dismissing it. And that goes back to what we were talking about a bit before, about it, you know what we do is a genuinely very kind of collaborative process. And part of that of always is... Okay, well, where are we going with this? Are we in the right place? Is it, you know, do we need to hear from that person today? Do we need to hear from this person today? How are we doing? How are we doing it? How are we pitching it? How are we writing it? Are we being accurate? Are we being fair? So it's a, I mean, we take it massively seriously. So, when, so but I think in a way, you answer your own question by saying that everybody, everybody thinks it. <laughs> All the parties think it. And the point to me is we're not there for the parties. We're not there to please any of the parties. But the danger is the coalition forms, isn't there? I, I remember seeing Dawn Butler, and I know you can't comment on an individual politician, but she was talking about the current debate in the Conservative Party where they're sort of maybe perhaps talking out loud, who knows where it goes, about oh, the BBC should be like Netflix or the licence fee can't be taken for granted and all those things. And mm-hmm. she said, well, I sort of thought, um, we well, got you come up and down. Or words to that effect, a kind of even a Labour person going, well, I don't mind if the Tories do sort of get rid of you. Now, there is a danger, I think, if the BBC doesn't defend itself... Um, that that coalition does form, and politicians of all sides will go. I've got no sympathy for you, and, and good night. You know, is that is that a genuine worry? You're tempting me <laughs> down a very very interesting path that it would be very unwise of me to follow you down. Um, uh, so that's a nice try, uh, and um, you know. Look, everybody, everybody is aware that there is a conversation going on politically. Um, obviously, it's a conversation that I have views on. A very kind of you to invite me to share them. <laughs> I wasn't the trying to be cheeky. Listeners. I think it's probably best that I don't. But what I would, I mean, what I, what I would say is that our priority and my priority is always it's, it's people at home. And yeah. if we were accused of pleasing any politicians I would be very very worried about that I'd rather be I'd rather have them all thinking that we were 
against them, which we are, to be completely explicit, absolutely not, than have politicians going around saying, oh, how wonderful they're on our side. Clearly, that would be entirely wrong, abhorrent and inappropriate. But it's also not surprising to me. We've just been through an astonishingly contentious political period. And shoot the messenger is a very, very fine old tradition. Um, and, you know, that's, I think, is kind of where we're, where we're at. In your role, your specific mm. role as messenger, political editor for the yeah. BBC, what, how, <laughs> what's your day-to-day? I mean, I'm sure they vary from day-to-day. They do. But do you have to be in contact at a particular time in the morning? Is there um, any sort of routine? It, well, it, it depends. <laughs> I mean, on a, re, you know, on a really busy day... Um, of which that for the last four and a half years or whatever there have been many 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 busy days um so I mean on a busy day, I suppose I'd be sort of up at about kind of half six and reading you know reading the papers and messaging people and all that kind of thing and then I'd probably do the today program um uh in the morning and then I would go into the office and be kind of around and about in Westminster and buzz about and do a few different interviews or be on the phone then to the editors of the Bulletins or the Six Ten O'Clock News and talking to my team about what we're gonna do about filming and then you might be in Parliament and doing other bits and pieces and running around but while also trying to have meetings with people about other things. And then uh, we would edit a piece for the six o'clock news, probably do a radio piece for the six o'clock news as well. Um, and probably have written an online piece and then and be probably tweeting and whatever and maybe doing Politics Live, which is the lunchtime programme. And then quite often then we might do different interviews with the 10 or they might, if it was a night of a big vote, then you would sometimes have to completely recut the piece for the 10 and then do it live at the 10 o'clock news. And then if it's a really busy day, then after that you might then file radio for the morning. And then, so, so I then might get home at about half 11 on a busy day. Yeah. Six, seven in the morning yeah. till 11 at night. Yeah. It's long, and yeah, and that's not, not every just, day. But in the last in the last few years, it's been like that a lot. And like, does your contract mm. say the political to the BBC must be available <laughs> for the Today program? This, that, and the other. There are certain things you have to do, um, or can you say I'm not doing that today? You know, I was at the RTS Awards last night, <laughs> and I need uh, just need an extra hour. Um. No, I mean, I suppose my, I suppose like my, you know, I knew when I started this job and having worked alongside Nick uh, Robinson for, you know, for, for years while he was doing the job, you know, that it is, you know, it's kind of clear that my res- sort of main responsibilities are unfortunately one of them's early in the morning and one of them's late at night. Yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of how it is. Um, uh, but you, I'd like try to take the summer recess. So I take like more, hol- you know, longer holidays than, than if I was just doing a nine to five. Okay. And those days aren't like you know my days are not all like that. But in the in the last few years, they have been like that a lot. I mean, it must it's simultaneously um, exhausting, but the adrenaline yeah. must be. Oh yeah, fantastic. I mean we've all been jacked up on adrenaline for years. But the the trickiest bits actually in the last couple of years that have been because I've done these two uh, sort of real time documentaries at the same time. The Brexit, they're amazing. Thank you. Thank Brilliant you. television. Thank the you. access you got. Yeah, well, it was. I mean, I'm really proud of them, um, and I think that we did something quite different. Yeah. Um, and I, I think they're still an iPlayer actually. But that, but that was kind of crackers yeah. because the people who were good at, in the first one, the people who were 
kind enough or good enough or crazy enough to take part in the documentaries, um, we had, for understandable reasons, we had said to them, look, please be in, you know, will you do these documentaries? And some rather interesting people like Julian Smith, the former chief whip, and Boris Johnson, and the few who, of course, is now the prime minister, had said yes, but as long as you don't use any of the stuff until this programme goes out. So that was how we got the access to do a sort of diary kind of style film. But it meant also that I knew lots of stuff that I couldn't use. Um, And it also meant on some days, so I was doing the day job and then there was one completely ridiculous day. It was one of the days of the, one of the days of the really, one of the really, really, really big vote days where we were doing the lead story and it was all like enormous and huge and all the rest. And I was doing an edit for the Six O'Clock News and my poor, long-suffering, brilliant, lovely friend excellent producer Paul Twin we were doing this like five minute piece for the Six Clock News which is a really big I mean that's in news terms that's a big big chunk of telly and given that we do it you know in a couple of hours and you know if you're making a longer film it might take you years or something but on the day we were doing that I got a kind of last minute call from the Chief Whips team saying you can come and do an interview you've got to come now on a day when like the government was all completely falling apart and on the same day we also got a call then from Boris Johnson's team saying you can you can you can come and do now and it was the day when there was a massive Brexit demo Tommy Robinson was on Whitehall yes there were demonstrators everywhere yes I remember it yeah and on that day, I was doing this big edit of the piece of the six, and I was, and I remember, like, a, I was ru- running around Parliament, trying to get round all these protesters to get to the Chief Whip's office, and then to get to Boris Johnson's office, and then to get back to do, do this massive piece for the six. Got news that if the piece hadn't worked, or it had been rubbish, or if it hadn't made air, would have been a, a, a monumental disaster. And I had to leave the edit for about an hour. And the lovely documentary team that I was working with didn't have parliamentary passes. So we also had this completely kind of ridiculous Keystone Cops moment where I was trying to get them through security. <laughs> and my phone was going mental with all the other people that I was trying to talk to in the government about what... And try to get to Julian Smith's office and try to get to Boris Johnson. And Tommy Robinson was screaming <laughs> on Whitehall, which you could hear. Like, I mean, it was just... It was just mad. It was just completely mad. But enjoyable mad. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, enjoyable mad. But then you get to Boris Johnson's office and he's like, oh, look at my lightsaber. Here's my lightsaber. Somebody <laughs> gave me this when I went to see Lucas at Pinewood Studios or whatever. And he's standing there playing with the lights. And I was just... <laughs> and Tommy Robinson's outside. And I said to him, Tommy Robinson, can you hear Tommy Robinson is outside? Are you... Are you? And I didn't... I asked him something like, are you proud of what you've done? I mean, maybe I wasn't quite as punchy as that. But um, the whole thing was just completely... Surreal and massively exciting, you know, massively exciting. Boris Johnson now um, Prime Minister. Yes, that great Prime Minister Johnson to you. Great photo of you and him on a bench. Oh, no. He looks like a, it looks like you're telling him off. He looks ashamed of what I mean. Whatever the conversation going on is, <laughs> it's such a funny photo. Well, actually, it's a scene from that the first documentary. So he was basically, it was after he'd resigned and basically he was sort of saying, well, everything's terrible and the deal's terrible and it's awful and it's really awful. You to checkers. And <laughs> actually, well, as an aside, one of his like loyal followers who's now a minister in the government yeah. does an even better impression of Boris no. Johnson than you do. It can't be possible. And it's absolutely 
priceless. Nee, 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 he, he, he shall, he shall nee, remain nee, nameless. Nee, nee. But he promised me once he would come on air and do it. Now, now he's a minister in the government. Got it. So in case he's listening to this podcast, sure I remember will. that he promised me that. And it is absolutely priceless. Will you tell me off yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'll tell you excellent. as soon as the microphone's fit. And I'll tell you what we should do about the BBC. No, I'm joking. <laughs> joking. And give you my politicians list. But um, the... What was I telling this story? Yeah, the conversation we were having on that bench was he was saying, well, everything's terrible. And, and I said to him, well, if it's so awful, you could just run for the leadership. Why don't you just run? Why don't you just do it? Like you Because I mean, obviously we knew that he was going to and he yes. was desperate to and had been desperate to for years. So that's what I was saying to him. When that's because that's a still it's a, it, it's not a picture it's a grab from it's a screen grab of the yes. of a scene in the documentary and that's what I was saying to him I was saying well if it's so awful why don't you just run now you just challenge her for the leadership then and he was going you know <laughs> well you do the you do well, the I come uh, on, uh, yeah, well, I, I do. yeah I'm not interested it's not about the leadership it's not about about getting really done yeah. I, yeah, yeah. It's not about, yeah, come on, Laura, come on. Come it's on, not really, about really, that yeah. at all. It's not about me becoming the Prime Minister. No, <laughs> it wasn't at all about him becoming the Prime Minister. So that's what that, and that is exactly that, like, kind of told off kit. Like, oh, it's not about, no, I didn't take the biscuits out of the jar, even though I've got crumbs all over my face. <laughs> but it's very funny. So was it the, the, is it the Onion? They called it Onion? Did like oh, yes, 18, the satirical website. They did 18 different phrases. Brilliant. It like captions for the picture. Do you remember um, any of them? Uh, one of them is said, "Is there a is there a relative or a carer I can call?" <laughs> so, or, also, I'm not yeah, laughing. Not his brother. He resigned. Right? Yeah. One 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 of them was something like, "How long have you been shouting in the bin?" <laughs> oh, I saw that uh, one. Yeah, yeah. There's one also about pigeons. I mean, they are they are funny. They are funny. People send them to me from time to time. They are they are funny. Has any, because, I mean, yeah. plenty of people have. I mean, Nick Robinson, his book says that Ed Miliband tried to recruit him. Obviously, Craig Oliver went from the BBC oh, to number 10. Oh, uh, uh, Robbie Gibb went to work in number 10. Yeah, Lance Price went to work for Blair. Lance said, Price, yeah. 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 Would yeah. you ever, oh, or, God, no. well, more to the point, no. has anyone ever tried to sound you out and gone? No. Not, no political party or no. politician has ever said, no. would you come and run our comms team? No. Would you fancy working at number 10? Absolutely not. And in years to come, do you think, actually, I, I could work in number 10? Absolutely not. Not a chance. Why not? Because that, no way. <laughs> no. I, well, well, first off, I mean, obviously, politically, I have no view. But I, 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 no, no But way. serving the nation, putting your expertise at the heart of delivering... But you have to completely buy... I mean, I respect people who do it, but you have to completely buy into a political project, and I would just never do that. And I wouldn't know what party to join anyway, even if I... You know, but I do not... No, no way. No way. So what... I just... And, I, and, I, and people do... And they, it's perfectly respect... You know, it's perfectly respectable thing to do people use the skills they develop in one career and they take them into a different one there's absolutely nothing wrong with it and people have done it from both both you know to to both main parties and also i think to the i think the lib dems as well and you know and they and probably this and you know I, yeah. um but no but no. Someone, God, i could i wouldn't i really wouldn't want to be a spinner but do you ever think uh-huh. do you ever think well i'd, I'd love to keep doing broadcast political journalism uh-huh. but I'd like to write a novel or a film script. Or is there anything else that I you think? Have I want a cheese my... shop. That is a great idea. A cheese and wine shop. Yes. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Or actually, my favourite job ever was working in restaurants. Laura's was... cheese curds. Does that sound like Coonsberg? Is <laughs> that a pun? <laughs> Really Laura Coonsberg's Laura's Cheese Curds. That's really bad. <laughs> I mean, it was at short notice. 
I'm glad be... it was at short notice um, and you hadn't thought of that before. But where that would, would you... be really bad but if you did you... that. I don't know, right? In London, in Scotland? Know. I don't know. Well, I love, I mean, I love Scotland's ace. And if is that where you in imagine Glasgow, that would be great. Is that where you imagine? So you support of independence, then we can take that. No. <laughs> take that as a coded God, message. Even I, as an interviewer, wouldn't have made that leap to try to get a, to try to get a, a, a prod. No, Glasgow is obviously the finest. City and when we in say prod, of course, we mean a nudge, not a uh, non-Catholic Christian. Oh, crikey! This is it's a, a minefield, minefield, isn't it? See, this is why minefield. I never do interviews ever. I've done like two interviews in my life. Um, and I'm never doing anyone else's podcast ever again. Um, uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, life is long, isn't it? But a tea and shop's I'm, a really good tea idea. Tea shop's great. I eat it all. That's the problem. Yes. Um, but a cheese and wine shop, how nice would that be? I mean, that's two of the best nice, things you could do, it? yeah. Exactly. But do you think, is that, is that <laughs> obviously it's kind of a bit of a fancy, but do you think well, that's why? years, years, years down the line? Why? Or do you think... Do you think, oh, there's only so much longer I can do a job like this? Or do you think, I'm in this for the next 40 years? I think, like, lots of people in Westminster at the moment, everyone's sort of adjusting to a very different world uh, and kind of thinking... Because, you know, covering a majority government is very different to covering a government that doesn't have a majority. Yeah. And actually, that, to me, funnily enough, I think that that is the biggest reason, actually, why everyone went completely crazy in the last few years. It's because there wasn't a majority in government. And I think to... I think that's just as big a factor as Brexit was, actually, because that's what that's what made everything feel so kind of shaky, right? Because governments with majorities can do controversial things, and there'll be a big political argument about it. But there isn't this kind of uh, the world might collapse around us, and parliaments all uh, and everyone's like shouting traitor at each other. I think the, the instability is sort of baked in is not having not having a majority government. Um, and the coalition basically operated like a majority government, even though they weren't. But because they were so tight and it worked really well, actually it was still it was stable. It was really stable, which we didn't think. And at the strong beginning. and stable. <laughs> I mean, that phrase hasn't been used for a good fortnight. Strong and stable under the table. Um, the, so, so I, I think lots of people who cover politics, and I was talking to a, a fellow uh, uh, hack in the in the um one of the other pollards yesterday sorry political editors um about you know we've all you know it's, just, it's a different era to cover right and you you know uh, and, it, and it's happening more slowly because we have to you know we, we've had this sort of story just crashing over us like waves on the shore every night right so obviously it was still really important to try to find out as much as you could and find out the most important bit and get that nugget of new information like try to find where Theresa May's Brexit plan really was the gag was that there wasn't one um, and but but the story was there, it was just happening yes. all the time now we've got a government that's not really into t- telling us what they're doing Parliament is it of course it matters but because votes are all going to go through so the stories are much less obvious so therefore we have to work harder which is not a bad thing at all to dig around to find out what's really going on right that's really important but it's a different fit it's a different era journalistically as well as politically so that actually is quite exciting and quite fun it's more like covering sort of 2005 six right when you know we had to work really it's not about working harder it's work it's a, in a different way and and there's more scope for kind of digging around and that kind of thing so it's a change journalistically which is no bad no bad thing although the fundamentals of like the job and you know doing packages of six o'clock news and all those kinds of things that they, they, they haven't they haven't changed but it's it's obviously it's less 
obviously busy. If you see what I mean. Satisfying footage of you recently finding out that oh, no. Sajid Javid oh, yeah. was going <laughs> to. What did you think I was going to say there? <laughs> <laughs> Are you finding out Sajid Javid yeah. um, was going to resign? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was funny. Um, just in terms of when people are trying to feed you stuff, you know, mm. from various parties and from various organisations, whatever, are they? I mean, it's, I sort of know the answer to this question in a way. Are they always absolutely straight with you? <laughs> um, and how hard is it to know when you're being sort of played or not? So, with a story like that, do you think actually could this be BS? And how how far can I go with the information at this stage? Well, it's all about relationships, isn't it? Actually, and whether you trust your sources, really. And if someone gives you duff information once, you remember that, right? And do you ever say to them, what was that all about? You, mm-hmm. you... Oh, of course. And also what sometimes happens is that people then sometimes, if they are a good contact and a decent person, sometimes they'll phone you and go, I'm really sorry, that was a bum steer, I'm really sorry. Okay, so they didn't w- always willfully Oh, yeah, right, mislead. because people, people make got... mistakes. Yeah. People make mistakes. So, um, I mean, and that's why, at the beep, that's why we, if something isn't a direct source, we would always want to have as many sources as possible and you always have two sources, you know, if on the other hand, if, you know, if, I mean, actually, to sound like school history, but is something a primary source, a secondary source or a document, right? Yes. So if the person who's making a decision says, I've made this decision and it's this, then you go, right, well, fair enough. Yeah. If someone who works for the person who's making the decision phones you and says, I'm telling you now we've made this decision and it's this, well, that's also fair enough because mm-hmm. they know direct. They know directly. Yeah. If someone who's a mate of the person who's going to make the decision phones you up and says, "Oh, I think that they're probably going to do that," that's not good enough to just do it on yeah. that. And you have to, but, but you know, and I mean, it's like a jigsaw, isn't it? It's like a jigsaw, and obviously we get obviously people try to spin us all the time, and do, do sometimes officially and sometimes not. So the language of government, you know, the official language of yeah. government. So the government's now come up with oh, an Australia type deal. With the EU, like, well, Australia doesn't have a deal with the EU, so that's just basically no right. deal. It's basically it's no deal with some extra bits. Yeah, it is. It's World World Trade Order, World World Trade Organization. In fact, the EU and Australia are currently trying to do a deal, but they are disagreeing about what you're allowed to call cheese. I know what it is. It's what? because Australia are allowed in Eurovision, <laughs> so it's basically we leave the EU, but we stay in Eurovision, and that's the Australia deal. Well, because some that's people what would think that's a very good deal. That's what they've been able Other to negotiate. Other people would disagree, <laughs> but you know that's that's so that is you know that is official uh, narrative that needs debunking, right? So it's not all someone whispering something. But sometimes people try to put you know if the <laughs> the most blatant things are actually sometimes quite hilarious when say there is a big and controversial story that's going on with the government. And someone in the government, I mean, actually, this happened the other day, and I won't reveal what it was, cause, but it is actually, it's hilarious that the time, if you knew the context, which I can't reveal, but there was a really damaging story running on a particular day. And literally in the middle of that story, I had a, t- a helpful text from, say, senior Whitehall figure, basically trying to make a play of, of giving me this other totally random story suggesting that I could start tweeting about that story In and it was just so blatant and I was oh, just like dear. oh thanks very much but they even suggested <laughs> that you tweet it mm-hmm. tweet this mm-hmm. oh. that, that would really annoy me well it's just I mean but you see the thing is then if that's a because also sometimes that part that, that people sometimes are are 
also people giving you very, very useful information on other occasions, right? Mm. So it's kind of annoying. And but they you know, know we that. know but that. Yeah, they know that, but I know that, and they know that, but that doesn't mean that you do their bit, you know, so of course I didn't do it. But actually what I did do, actually what I did do was I checked it out, obviously because it might have been something that could have been big. So I checked it out, thought actually no, it isn't something that's worth pursuing at the moment. And actually, by the way, we did something on this a couple of days ago and I don't think there's very much more information that we can add to it at the moment. So I did, so I checked, obviously I checked it. And then you just go, well, I've checked it. And actually, clearly you're just being outrageous and trying to put us on something else. But they're doing, but you know, I mean, that is sort of... Um, you know, if you are a, you know, it is Spinner's job, whether you like it or not, and some people find this appalling and say, why can't we just all have, you know, why can't the world be full of milk and honey when you turn the saps on? <laughs> you know, Spinner's jobs on from, on all political parties is to try to shape their narrative. Mm. That's what their jobs are. Um, and some of them are good at be, it yeah. and some of them are really bad at it. But they, you know, they're, also, they're not all bad people. No, and... You can understand why someone who believes in a political project on a day where there's some bad news tries to negate or mitigate that. Right. Right. You can. But then it's obviously it's journalists' jobs to be aware of what they're trying to do and not just go, oh, yeah, thank you. Here we go. And that's where, you know, that's the sort of, you know, well, that's the whole dead cat, isn't it? That's that strategy of the dead. But, you know, most journalists recognise a dead cat when they see one. Um, So... This has been a real pleasure. So thank you for for doing this. What awful things have I said that are going to? No, it's all great. Don't you worry at all. This is none of this is going to get into trouble. Um, It might be great for you, not so great for me. (laughs) Well, I I think people. I think the cheese shop is something that people. Do you think think that's going to get us in the express online? I think people email in better names for your cheese shop than I would have. (laughs) I mean, but your surname. It must be one of the most misspelt names in. Yeah. In the country. One N, two S's. It's not that hard. Well, it's just as easy to get it right as it is to get it wrong. But it's the E's and the U's in there as well, isn't it? Well, one comes first and the comes second. (laughs) It's not that hard. True. (laughs) All letters. It's also Um, on the internet. (laughs) But do you you still go to, like, events where Mm. people have written it wrong even now? Of course. On the the trail for uh, this documentary for which we'll have gone out by the time we're on, but... It'll still be on BBC Sounds and jolly good it is too. Um, the official like slate on Radio 4, and I don't know why I'm publishing this, actually had spelt it wrong. <laughs> oh, man. And do you complain? Do you say, come on? No, I just say it's wrong. And then it's, you know, there's no point being pompous about it, right? I mean, I'm not a very pompous person. I mean, you know, what's the, what's the point of being aggro? Well, some people get some people do get aggro about stuff like that. Some people I know, are very but nice to sure. I've got too, much thing, too, too many things to do. There are so many people that don't even like their names being abbreviated. Who's that? Oh, I couldn't tell you, but I remember, uh, let's say for instance, yes, yeah. hypothetically, mm. I remember talking to someone who was, uh, it was, let me think of an example. Yeah, when I said, oh, it's Al whoever, and they were like, it's Alistair. And I was like, oh. Oh. Well, hello. But people get like that, don't they, in broadcasting oh. and in politics. Was that Alistair Campbell? It wasn't Alistair Campbell, no. He sure. doesn't mind what you call him, does he? Well, he's been called a few things. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, mainly on this podcast by um, previous he... guests. Oh, has he? Oh, he's very popular. He's very popular in this who's, arena. Who said the, the rudest thing about him? Uh, do you know what? I, I can't recall anything absolutely specific, but... Oh, I think Owen Jones was pretty severe about him. Okay. Not on this show, but on... You know what? It's the Owen Jones interview where he interviews 
Alistair Campbell where Owen Jones is late. Oh, yes. Which is a great YouTube video. And when he opens up by saying, a lot of people hate you, <laughs> you just think, what? what sort of interview technique is this? Oh. Which one said it to who? Owen Jones says it to Alistair Campbell. He's like, oh, a lot of people hate you. He's like, did he? <laughs> Thanks for coming in. Yeah. So at least I didn't ask you that or open with that. Well, that's true. Well, it's quite. It's not true either, is the main point, obviously. What about me? Yeah. Well, hmm. Well, (laughs) let's see how people feel after this interview's gone out. Uh, Laura Koonsberg, thank you very much. Well, there you go, Laura Koonsberg. What a brilliant guest. And it just. As I said at the start, when you're talking to someone who can really talk, and I don't just mean impart information, but someone who can talk with the, with energy and clarity and the, just everything, it was just an absolute thrill. And uh, I know I often say this, I've had so many wonderful guests, but an hour just wasn't enough. Um, if you would like to see me talk for uh, more than an hour, roughly 90 minutes, including a break, you can come and see me on my brand new tour, Brexit Pursued by a Bear, which features, as well as Boris Johnson and Donald Trump, a growing Richard Bergen section that is threatening to get out of control. I'm at the Darlington Hullabaloo on the 5th of March, Hexham Queen's Hall on the 6th, Bedford Quarry Theatre on the 7th, the London South Bank Centre on the 10th, Maidenhead Norden Farm on the 14th, Leeds Hyde Park Book Club on the 18th, York on the 19th, Annick on the 20th, Southend on the 22nd, Cambridge on the 23rd, back at the London South Bank on the 27th, and the Brighton Comedia on the 29th of March. Um, some of those dates have sold out, so check the website, mapford.com slash live. I mean, obviously, you don't want to just sit here listening to an entire list of dates. Um, that said, Cardiff on the 2nd of April, Newcastle on the 7th, Glasgow on the 8th, Aberdeen on the 9th, Chorley on the 10th, Camberley on the 12th, Corby on the 17th, Shrewsbury on the 12th. They seem to have Oh, that can't be right. How can I be in Camberley on the 12th and Corby on the 17th and Shrewsbury on the 12th? I'm going to double-check the website before I post these dates, but I'm in Shrewsbury sometime in April. Exeter, miles away, on the 28th of April. Make it worth my while. 30th of April at the Bristow Tobacco Factory. Obviously, there are dates um, later on in the spring. Um, You don't need to hear them all read out. Um, That said... I often think when you're listing these dates, if if I list the place where you're from, you think, oh, we should go to that. So, the 1st of May, Gloucester Guildhall. The 2nd of May, London Bloomsbury. The 7th of May, Maidstone Hazlitt Arts. On the 13th of May, the Nottingham Spiegel Tent, which is going to be erected in Market Square as a Nottingham... I mean, for me, that's... For me, that's like Oasis at Main Road. Um, possibly only in my mind. Um, the 20th of May. Sheffield Leadmill, the 21st. Stafford, the 22nd. Back at the London South Bank. The 28th of May, I'm at Eastleigh the Berry. So if you live in Southampton or Portsmouth or that neck of the woods, Winchester, um, that is the closest I'm coming to you on this tour. Uh, on the 30th and the 31st of May, I'm doing two nights at the wonderful Edinburgh Stand. And on the 9th of June, I've had an extra date at the Brighton Comedia because the earlier one sold out. So that's all the dates. You can get tickets for all those uh, through the website, mattford.com slash live. You can email the show, politicalpartypodcast at gmail.com. I'm pleased to do a public service to the world. Share this podcast. Um, leave an iTunes review. Keep it positive. And I'll see you next week. Ta-ra. When you need- 
need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.